0: Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today we're going to conclude our series, Blind Spots. And throughout this series, we've been looking at some of the areas of our lives that are hard for us to see. The first week we looked at Mark chapter 10, where Jesus encounters blind Bartimaeus I told you that it's imperative that we don't become so comfortable in our misery that we cannot see that there is a Savior that can bring us up out of our despair. Bartimaeus was stuck on the side of the road and life was passing him by. Day after day, life was passing him by and he had resorted to begging. And it's so easy to get focused on what you don't have that you lose sight of what you do have. Bartimaeus couldn't see, didn't have sight, but he did have ears and he could hear. He didn't have to see it, he only needed to hear the voice of Jesus. And I told you, you don't have to see it to believe it, but you do have to believe it if you're going to see it, amen? The second week I told you, that when it comes to the blind spots of life, we fail to check them for the same reasons that we fail to check when we are driving a car. First of all, doing so forces you to turn from what is comfortable, to check that blind spot. We don't like turning from what is comfortable. Um, it's because we trust our, two in, our, our, our instincts too much. We trust our own instincts way too much. Or maybe it's because it causes you to take your eyes off of what's right in front of you. And so many times we're looking at the grass being greener somewhere else and we forget about what's right in front of us. We looked at John chapter nine, where Jesus healed a man that was blind from birth. And when Jesus healed this man, everybody just seemed to lose their mind for no good reason. They were, they were majoring on the minors of the situation that he healed on the Sabbath and, and it freaked everybody out. And Jesus explained to them that they were the ones that were really blind, that, that they were more blind than, than this guy that had been blind from birth. And, and I told you that when the other driver makes a mistake, we tend, we tend to be up in arms, fired up, ready to fight. But when we accidentally do the same, it's like, oh, my bad. You swerve into somebody else's lane, oh, I- I'm sorry, I apologize. Just the little hand in the rearview mirror. They do it to you, some of you will cuss up a storm. You know it. You know I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you. you know, it, and it's so easy to recognize someone else's blind spots and not even be aware of our own blind spots. Have you ever met someone that is so certain that they are right? that they will argue until their last breath. Yes. That is my daughter. <laughs> when Kendall believes that she is right, there is no convincing her otherwise. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what it is. She, she may say, oh, well, well, they said that in this episode. No, it was in this episode. And we can take her to the episode, show, them that, show her that they're saying it right there in that episode and she'll still be convinced. Oh, they must've said it in that one also, you know. Uh, or, or maybe it's a certain song. Oh, that's by this musical artist. No, it's by so-and-so. We will prove it to her. And she's still like, well, they must have remade that song, you know. <laughs> hard-headed, hard-headed. And uh, she gets it from her mother. I mean, she, she really does. <laughs> no, she probably gets it from me, to be honest. And what I've come to realize, at least with my own life, is that the worst blind spots are the areas of life where you are convinced that you are right. They're the worst blind spots. Areas that you're just convinced that you are right. And, and because of that, you don't choose to see anything else. You've got tunnel vision and, and, and that is the way it is. And there's no room for movement in that area. And I'm not necessarily talking about convictions. A conviction sometimes you need tunnel vision. You need to be locked in. But, but even when it comes to conviction, sometimes your convictions may be wrong. And so you have to be careful with this because the worst blind spots are the areas of life where you are convinced that you are right. And in the book of Acts, we meet a man that was very convinced that he was right in his religious beliefs. This man's name is Saul. You know him better by the name of Paul. Paul was the author of 13 New Testament books. Saul's conversion becomes one of the greatest moments in human history. It was so great that God said, I need to change his name from Saul to Paul. There had to be a distinction between who he was and who he is now. And it was so important, and and, and this transformation in his life was so great that God changed his name from Saul to Paul. Paul was a Jew by birth. By conviction, he was a Pharisee. By citizenship, he was Roman, by education, a Greek, and by God's grace, he was a Christian. And this man, after he gives his life to Christ, he becomes a missionary, he becomes an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, a church planner, and even an author. And today, we will read of this man's miraculous conversion to Christianity in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I'm going to read the first nine verses. I'm going to talk for a little while and then we'll come back and pick it up at verse 10 in a moment. Acts chapter 9, starting with verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way. It's an interesting choice of words there, the way. Just for a moment, let me just dive into this. He's calling them the way. It, it almost feels a little sarcastic a little bit because you'll remember the words of, of Christ, what Jesus said. He said, no man comes to the Father except through me, right? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus made that declaration. Now he is in heaven. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And and, and now these disciples and, and these followers of Christ, these early Christians are now having to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when Paul refers to them, he refers to them as being a part of the way, almost sarcastically saying, oh, remember, they're part of that, the only way to get back to the Father. And so We were first introduced to Saul in Acts chapter seven. Just for a brief moment, you read about Saul. Chapter seven of the book of Acts indicates that Saul led the charge in the killing of a young preacher by the name of Stephen. Stephen stood before a crowd and and gave a, a very powerful and convicting message. I challenge you, go back and read it sometime. It was very convicting. And when he completes his sermon, there's this angry mob that that they go and they lay their coats at, at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. It's the first time we're introduced to him. And then they successfully kill Stephen by stoning him to death. The fact that they laid their coats at the feet of Saul tells us that Saul orchestrated Stephen's execution, that it was his idea. In chapter 9, verse 1 that we just read, it says that Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Still breathing threats and murder. Against the disciples of the Lord. The word breathing here in verse 1, it's a very interesting word. It's it's not what you think. When you just read it and say and think to yourself, he's breathing out threats and murder, that, that this is the stuff that's just coming out of him. It does not mean that he is breathing out or exhaling. Rather, this word is a very peculiar word that means breathing in to inhale. It literally means that Saul lived to threaten and murder Christians. Every breath that he took was dedicated to destroying Christianity. Today, we would call him a terrorist. I know that's tough. I'm really messing some of you up right now. Those of you that come from a Catholic background, I'm really messing with you right now because it's tough when you think about Paul like that. But when you label someone that is killing and, and persecuting people because of their faith you you would label them a terrorist saul was a terrorist to the christian church he wanted to annihilate christians and much like Haman wanted to to kill the jews in esther chapter 3 or hitler wanted to eliminate the jews in the 20th century saul's life passion what he lived for every breath that he took was to kill christians Saul was a very educated man he attended a a very distinguished university in his home city of Tarsus this university was among the top three in the ancient world the others being in Athens and Alexandria that would be Alexandria Egypt and Athens not Georgia the University of Georgia would hardly be an education I realize they stoned Stephen for preaching the truth, but, but it's just, (laughs) let me show you what I'm talking about. What has two teeth is black and red and is a hundred yards long. The front row at a Georgia home game, okay. (laughs) The universities in Alexandria, Athens and Tarsus would have been equivalent to our Harvard, Yale and Princeton. Not only was Saul an educated man, but Saul was also a devout Jew. He was a Jew and he believed the Old Testament. He believed it. He studied it. He knew it inside and out. In one of his books, the letter to the Philippians chapter 3 verses 5 and 6, Paul says these words. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. He was a devout Jew. And he did not want anything to destroy Judaism. Not Christianity, not anything. And he was willing to do whatever it took to defend Judaism. When my father gave his heart to Christ and became a minister of the gospel, he quickly adapted his family to a list of man-made laws that his denominational covering set forth. Some of you grew up in Legalistic churches and 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 you'll you'll recognize some of these man-made laws that I'm going to be talking about here And and, and some of you we're going to say it and it's just mind-boggling for you. You're going to be like what? Things like this My dad would not allow us to go to the movies That was off-limits. We could not go to the movies or as they called it the picture show We couldn't go to the picture show that was evil It was 8th grade before I finally went to my first movie. I was in 8th grade before I went to my first movie. And I still didn't tell dad. I told mom. (laughs) I didn't tell dad. I don't think dad found out for another few years. My dad would not allow... My two oldest brothers, this is before I actually was born, he wouldn't allow them to wear shorts because the teachings were that that men could not wear shorts, women either, but, 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 but men could not wear shorts. And so my oldest brother actually played high school basketball and would have to wear sweatpants with his jersey while the rest of the team wore their basketball shorts. And sure, extremely legalistic. Women could not wear jewelry, couldn't cut their hair, They couldn't wear makeup. That's rough. (laughs) Every old barn needs a little paint, right? These, I'm glad I'm only preaching one service today. Thank you, Jesus. These practical teachings, as they called them, were very impractical. But dad had this conviction that this was the right way. That as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in this, if this is what the denomination says, then this is how we're going to do it. Doesn't matter if you have scripture to back it up or not. We are going to live our lives as righteous as we can. And my dad honestly thought that he was doing the best thing for his household. And so we lived that way. More so my older brothers than me, thank God that as I got into high school, dad began to, to loosen up some. But to my dad, this was the only way. And his personal convictions were strong. And dad thought that he was right. And Saul thought that he was right. He really did. A devout Jew protecting Judaism, Saul thought that he could see clearly, he believed that he was doing what was right, he was serving his country and God the best way that he knew how to. And as he persecuted the Christians in Jerusalem, they began to scatter all over. We read about that in chapter 8. And only the apostles remained in Jerusalem and the rest of the Christians, they began to scatter, thousands of them running for their lives. And many of these exiled Christians, they say, were relocated in the city of Damascus. And Saul heard these reports that Christianity was rapidly growing there. And he was so overzealous with the call on his life to protect his faith that he requested arrest warrants. And when he had the letters in his hand, he hits the road to Damascus. In his mind, these dirty, rotten Christians must die. Saul could see, but he couldn't see clearly. This bright light from heaven takes him to his knees, causes him to go blind. Verse 10 says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Not only does Saul eventually get a new name, but his mission in life was now drastically changed also. You see, Paul went from persecuting Christians to empowering Christians christians he went from killing them to connecting with them he began to treat them like they were his brothers and sisters in christ because that's what they were and now as the scales were removed from his eyes not just physically but now spiritually he could see that these people mattered and that jesus christ was real but it's interesting to me that god had to blind saul so that Saul could see what God could see. And he will do the exact same thing to you. There are times in life when God will get your attention through a tragic moment. You lose your job before you ever recognize your weaknesses. You are served divorce papers before you wake up and realize what you had and now it's gone. A loved one dies before you ever consider eternal life being a reality. And the worst blind spots in life are when we convince ourselves that we are dead right. We live in a world that hangs its hat on strong opinions. If our party wins an election, we rub it in. If we lose an election, we whine and we pout. We're always right. If someone disagrees with us, we are offended. If, if someone is offended by something that we say, then they are simply too sensitive. At least that's our opinion because we are always right. We have this strong desire to be right. Right in our opinions, right in our marriages, right in our convictions, or right in our lack of convictions. We have this desire to be right. And here's my question. What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? Do you want to live your whole life only to find out that you were wrong? On the road to Damascus, Paul had such a life-changing encounter with God that it changed his desire to be right. Listen to his writings again, Philippians chapter 3, now verses 6 through 9. Listen to what he says. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith." Listen, Paul recognized that being right within your own abilities makes you wrong, but being right in Christ makes you righteous. You see, before we become so opinionated In politics, marriage, faith, whatever it is, we've got to seek God first to find out what God is saying about it. Some of us were just so blinded. I've been there, I know. It takes one to know one. I have been so blinded sometimes that I never even sought God to see what God was trying to say to that particular situation. What was God trying to say? What was God's thoughts on that? We've got such a desire just to be right that it's costing us. And I'm afraid somewhere down the road, we might actually see our blind spot, but will it be too late and we've missed out on so much life? During World War II, there was a Japanese soldier named Hiru Onada. He was sent to Luberg Island in the Philippines to spy on US soldiers. But when Japan surrendered to Allied forces, Onoda refused to believe it. He was told, do not surrender, so he didn't. And when the Japanese government tried to send him messages to tell him that the fight was over, the war was over, he dismissed it as trickery. No one was going to get him. He would never surrender. They even flew over the jungles and dispersed flyers, landing all throughout the jungle, but he would not would not listen to the messages that were being sent. And for nearly 30 years, he survived in those jungles by eating food, that the, the, the fruit of the land, and, and stealing from local farmers. Even at times, having to kill people just to survive. Finally, in 1974, a former commanding officer of his traveled to that little island and informed him that he was now released from his military duties and still in his old battered army uniform, Onada handed over his sword nearly 30 years after the war had ended. The sad part of this story to me is that he spent nearly a third of his life, he lived to be 91, he spent nearly a third of his life fighting a war that was already over. The world passed him by because he was convinced that he was right. Time with family that he can never get back. Loved ones who are deceased that he would never be able to see. All because he was determined to be right. Don't be so caught up in being right that you create blind spots in your life. It's good to have convictions, we need convictions. I believe convictions are sent by the Holy Spirit of God. But don't confuse the Holy Spirit's convictions on your life with your own personal wants and desires. Don't get so caught up in being right that you become dead wrong reading his story I thought to myself I don't want to be the last man standing I want to be the first man kneeling that's what I want when God brought Saul to his knees Saul began to pray God show me the way When Ananias found him, he was praying. That's the only way. It's the only way to know if you're right is when you lay your right aside for his righteousness. It's the only way. And I believe that some of you today, maybe, just maybe, God is speaking to your heart and telling you, stop trying to be right. And let him create righteousness in you. There's a big difference. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.